This is On Location. I'm Tim Leitner. Today's episode was recorded in San Diego, California, and Chicago, Illinois. But first, On Location is produced by the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Mamlin and me. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, Breaker, and Radio Public, among others. So subscribe today on your favorite podcast service and tell all your friends. In this episode, Pat O'Donnell wraps up her series on NCIA's 2021 Leadership Awards. She hosts a conversation with Robert Leifer on being awarded the 2021 NCIA Outstanding Leader Award. They talk about Rob's ongoing and impactful accomplishments in the child support program, what led him to his current role, and transitioning to a more balanced approach to help both parents support their children. They also talk about the innovations used in the child support program during this past challenging year with the pandemic. It's going to be a great show, so stick around, and we'll be right back. My name is Pat O'Donnell of Young Williams. Welcome to NCIA On Location. Today, it's my pleasure to host a conversation with a recognized leader in the child support community. Each year, the National Child Support Enforcement Association recognizes individuals and teams who have made significant contributions to the child support program in their jurisdiction. In August 2021, at the Leadership Symposium in Austin, Texas, NCIA announced the recipients of these coveted awards, and it's my pleasure to introduce Rob Lafer, Chief Legal Counsel of the County of San Diego, Department of Child Support Services. Rob received the National Outstanding Leader Award in recognition of his ongoing and impactful accomplishments in the child support program. Welcome, Rob, and thank you for joining us today. Can you share a little bit about your background with us and how your experiences led you to your current role? Absolutely. And thank you, Pat, for inviting me to participate today. I began my career back in 1990. Sounds like it's a long time ago as a (laughs) deputy district attorney with the mindset of holding people accountable for their actions. I was really a hard charging attorney back then, and I was determined to seek justice. In particular, the concept was that parents should be responsible for supporting their children, not the taxpayers. The child support orders we obtained were really very high, and in many cases, we weren't very successful in our collections in you know, a lot of those cases. The program was admittedly very one-sided. Over the years, the program has evolved. Instead of focusing on reimbursing 
the government for welfare money paid out to support children, we've transitioned to a more balanced approach to help custodial and non-custodial parents support their children. This new direction helps change the face of the child support program in California. In providing services for parents, I knew more needed to be done. One comment I often heard from non-custodial parents was that our department only cared about taking money for child support and we didn't help them see their kids. I wondered if there was some way of, you know, helping obtain parenting time orders as it was not traditionally within the core services we provided. So we came up with a plan to leverage our positive relationship with our court's family law facilitator's office and have them assist with parenting time issues on an expedited basis. Now, I won't bore you with all of the details of our initial parenting time program, which preceded a federal grant we obtained for that purpose, but I can confidently say it was a resounding success. By providing a relatively quick, efficient, and cost-effective way of establishing parenting time orders, it allowed parents to participate in their child's lives and improve family outcomes. And it actually increased child support collections in those cases. Interestingly, at the same time, it also changed their perception of our program in a, a more positive way, demonstrating that we care about making a positive impact on the entire family. These experiences showed me that the win-lose paradigm of the traditional child support program and litigation could be reinvented potentially to more of a win-win situation. The concept of one side versus the other in this program, as is the case with traditional litigation, needed to be revised a little. Our parenting time program was a great example of where we went a little outside of our core services, resulting in a significantly positive impact on entire families. Ultimately, we can't settle for the status quo. We should always be seeking continuous improvement. In my role as the department's chief legal counsel and as part of our executive team, I appreciate the opportunity to create and support new programs like Parenting Time to help parents be successful. I think the evolution that you mentioned is critically important. And I've certainly seen that evolution occurring throughout the child support program in many states across the country. And the outcomes, you're exactly right, create much more of a win-win where everyone feels like they're contributing in a positive way to their children's success. So thank you for that, Rob. Exactly, and uh, just one other, one other piece on that, when the case participants see that we are actually there to help them instead of just take their money or potentially adversely affect them as they might see it, then they're more apt to come to us. And especially when they lose their job, you know, they can call us and say, hey, um, can you help with a modification and things like that? So it really does lead to, to better outcomes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you've established the foundation for communication, which is really critical for any success to occur. Exactly. Yep. You led an effort to create the ex parte license release and job placement program. Can you describe the program 
and the impact it's had on families in the San Diego County. Certainly. Many of the obligors in our program have suffered a job loss or are underemployed and consequently have missed payments and accrued substantial amounts of child support arrears. At the same time, they may not think that our office or the courts will help them. So, you know, they just sort of stick their heads in the sand, so to speak, hoping that these problems are just magically going to go away. Or they just don't know how to overcome these challenges on their own. So we try and reach out in many different ways to help, but we may be the last people they want to talk to. They don't always see the child support program, as we just discussed, as one that will help them, so they avoid us. So we developed this program to help those who can't or just, quite frankly, won't help themselves. We identified groups of cases where we had an order but hadn't received a payment for many consecutive months. Arrears had built up and we had no evidence of current employment. Furthermore, due to their non-payment of support, their driver's license automatically had been suspended. Instead of filing a contempt with the threat of jail time, we filed for an ex-party judicial review of their license suspension and invited them to our office to resolve that issue and review their circumstances to perhaps you know, prepare a motion to reduce their child support obligation if that's appropriate. When they arrived at our office on their court day, we had on-site job placement assistance available for them that included individualized support in job readiness, placement, and even career enhancement. Further, if we didn't agree to release their driver's license, they could that same day appear in court pursuant to our ex-party application, and they could appear via Skype that we had set up from our office, or they could go in person if they preferred, and they could request the court release their license. We made it as easy as possible for them to have their day in court if needed. The obligors that participated in this project seemed to truly appreciate the assistance that we provided to get them back on the road to success. Although we developed this as a one-time project, it was so successful, we now continue to do it each year. Interestingly, one byproduct of this program that was not anticipated was that the judicial officers that participated realized that we were working hard to help obligors and thereby they really saw us in a different light. Absolutely. It sounds to me like you almost put yourself in the shoes of an obligor and thought about potential transportation issues, potential fear issues, and tried to work through those in advance so that they truly had an opportunity to engage and be successful in that transaction. So hats off to you and your team. That's amazing. Absolutely. And, and one of the things we, we try to do in our department is identify those barriers to success and then yep. find creative ways to eliminate those barriers. And this project is one of those examples. That's a great example. Another program that you've implemented is the legal paperless system, which has led to significant improvement in the way child support cases are serviced. So how would you categorize those benefits to the stakeholder community and in particular to the families? Well, 
the benefits of this system have been dramatic and and very timely. And I'll go into a little bit of the background so you can understand the, the system. Essentially, the paperless system eliminated all paper litigation files and substituted an electronic system in its place. When we developed it, we didn't want to merely create a document management repository where the paper file was merely in an electronic format. Instead, we, we wanted to leverage technology to improve our workflow and our processes. And first, taking away paper from attorneys is, is not easy, as you might imagine, really tied to that paper. Sure. <laughs> Changing tried and true litigation processes was challenging all the way. So as part of this process, we brought in the end users, the attorneys and paralegals, to help develop the product during various stages of development. This resulted in not only a better quality product, which could address the needs of our attorney and other legal staff, along with providing the court with timely information, but also created buy-in for the use of the paperless system. In addition to the cost and time savings, we saved a lot of trees. And with this system, we don't need to rely on a physical file, but instead can access information from virtually anywhere. Anywhere you have the internet service, you can get uh, access to this litigation file. Our call center can answer questions without requesting the file from an attorney. Files don't get lost. Although we developed this system only for our agency, others have requested to use it too. And currently, I think we have about 15 local child support agencies in California using this system. And it's really proved invaluable. In one county, for example, due to an emergency, staff were unable to physically access their offices. But since they had the legal paperless system, they were able to access their cases for court and were able to continue providing quality and timely services to the public. They didn't need to continue their cases without the file, they had it. More recently, with the pandemic, Another example is attorneys were able to appear in court virtually and use the system from any location while staying safe. With the legal paperless system, we've been able to provide the program with continuous and professional legal services without the potential interruption or delays that would have occurred if we were tied to physical files. So we think it's had a, a very positive impact. It sounds like it really has. And you talk about being in the right place at the right time. This program, had you not had it, you would have been virtually paralyzed through the worst of the pandemic. Exactly. I mean, things would have ground to a halt. So it's wonderful that you had the foresight to, to put this together and then be able to even more fully utilize it. And I'm guessing that over time, even more agencies and jurisdictions will want to participate or use this as a best practice and establish their own in their jurisdictions, which would be great. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So how do you stimulate change in a program like child support, which is complex, impacts tens of thousands of families every day, and really includes a diverse stakeholder group? Uh, you know, that's really a great question. Providing an adequate answer to that could take more time than maybe we have today. But perhaps I can just point out some of the most important components. 
Stimulating change in a large organization has its challenges. You know, I think most importantly, you need to start with an effective and well-functioning organization with a universally understood mission and purpose. Communication, transparency, and trust are key. Typically, staff in an organization are usually resistant to change, as you may know. However, in a healthy organization where staff trust leadership and share a common purpose, change can be effectuated through ongoing communication and transparency. If your team understands what you're trying to do, along with why you're trying to do it, they will more likely support that change. And communication is not a one-way street. Merely communicating the information regarding whatever it is that you're trying to change is not enough. Obtaining meaningful feedback and providing opportunities for input is critical. Just going through the motions of allowing for input without seriously considering it will result in a loss of trust and a loss of staff engagement. Our organization's success lies with our staff and they can provide tremendous value and it's really important to make sure to give them a voice. Change is never easy, but two-way communication with staff combined with established trust towards a shared purpose will yield great results. Well, I agree with you a thousand percent. I think it's so critical for all of us to understand how our contributions play into the bigger picture, no matter what we do or with whom. And it sounds like that's very much your philosophy and your agency's philosophy. Yes, definitely. So as you step back, Rob, what are a couple of accomplishments that you're most proud of? I'm fortunate to have had a fairly productive career. One accomplishment that does come to mind is my relationship with the courts. I've been responsible for our department's legal operations for over 20 years with over 10,000 court hearings every year. As you can imagine, there are a lot of things that can happen in litigation related to parentage issues and child support. Throughout all of these years and interacting with numerous judicial officers through all of these cases, our legal division has maintained a professional reputation for continuous outstanding legal quality and only the highest ethical standards. Our attorneys and legal staff always know that no matter what the next case brings, they will always rise above situational ethics and do the right thing. And I'd like to think that I've had a substantial role in creating that environment. I'm also proud to serve the public on a team of outstanding professionals in our department, led by our amazing director, Jeff Grissom, we are always looking for ways to better serve the public. We have focused on breaking the cycle of intergenerational poverty to give children a chance for a better tomorrow. Things like our college savings program, our high school diploma program, or on-site job assistance can help reduce poverty to elevate future success for children. So those are some of the things that I thought about and of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't say how proud I am to have been selected to receive NCIA's 2021 Leader Award. 
Well, it's certainly well-deserved. And I know Ansia was delighted uh, with your selection and with your nomination. So congratulations again. Thank you. So as you think about, again, your career in retrospect, or even looking forward, what are your lessons learned? You know, one thing, and I don't know if it's really a lesson learned or just a philosophy, but I always try to be accurate and trustworthy. If I don't know the answer to a question, I say so. If, if I'm guessing, I'll say, I don't know for sure, but can make an educated guess based on these factors. In my position, what I say can have an impact. And I always want to be sure what I'm saying is correct and that people can rely on my statements. Something else, reacting with emotion. Passion and emotion have their place and can be helpful in some respects, but not in others. I've seen people react emotionally and create or even perpetuate drama in the workplace because of an emotional reaction to something. And sometimes this can have an adverse impact on a relationship with a coworker or even affect someone's reputation. It can also affect how we deal with a particular case participant. One example of a technique I've learned to limit responding with emotion is what I call the 24-hour email rule. The rule is if you find yourself reacting emotionally to an email or a situation and you're writing an email in response, before sending that responsive email where you're really going to tell that person why they're wrong and you're right or whatever, and I would say just don't hit send. You can write the email but just don't send it and wait until the next day. By the next day, your emotions may have cooled down and chances are your email would be crafted quite differently and you'll avoid a lot of problems. Sometimes you'll see that maybe no response is the better approach. And just one last tip on that. If you decide to write the email and remember this rule, and you don't intend to send it out until the next day, I suggest deleting the person's email address from the send line, just in case you may hit that by accident. Yeah, good advice. I personally found that your suggestion is completely appropriate. When I've personally been tempted to just blast something off, I've learned, put it in draft file. And you're exactly right. Take the address out because you don't want to inadvertently <laughs> send it. And that, yeah. that sort of defeats the purpose. But uh, you're exactly right. Things look different the next day after you've had a chance to uh, get some distance. So that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. So what would your advice be to others that are new to leadership or those aspiring to leadership positions? First, my advice would be to stand out somehow. Perhaps... It's exceptional knowledge, skill, or ability. That'll certainly get you noticed. Maybe volunteer to take on new or additional responsibilities. Share your ideas and be a team player. Be careful to not be seen as that person who only acts in their own self-interest, but instead be someone who helps others and is humble. Helping your teammates will definitely get you noticed in a healthy organization. Some other advice, for example, when, when someone comes to me with a question on what to do in a particular situation, I'll ask them, 
what they think are the options. If someone is just maybe being lazy and wants me to just give them the answer, well, I'm not going to be impressed. However, if they know many of the options, then I'll ask them what they suggest and why. If someone knows the options and has an opinion as to which option is best and why that's best, I will certainly take note of that. Also, of course, to be a good leader, you should always be respectful of others and show gratitude. How do you treat people that can't provide any benefit to you? Do you say hi and acknowledge your teammates or other staff on your way into the office? Do you have a vision for the future of your organization or your team? Do people trust you? Leadership means a lot of different things to different people. Things like having a good character and being honest, well, that's a given. But to learn more about leadership really, you know, would take a lot of a lot of time and you know, we don't have that this morning, but you would serve yourself well or your people listening would serve themselves well to do some reading about leadership. Books like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Lastly, another tip to excel as a leader, I would suggest you find a mentor within your organization that can help give you advice based on their experiences and successes. Well, that's great advice, Rob. Thank you very much for sharing that. We really appreciate you sharing your perspectives and your experiences with us today. You truly provide an inspiring example of impactful leadership. So thank you again for participating with us. I'm Pat O'Donnell of Young Williams, and I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us in this podcast. On Location is available on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. We have a lot of great episodes on the way, so be sure to subscribe and listen to all of our previous episodes as well. We also appreciate your ratings, your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us on the contact link on our website. On Location is a production of the NCA Communications Committee with special production assistance from Joe Mamlin and me. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Tim Leitner, and this has been On Location.